You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 44 with Tina Moore. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, movement, mental health, mindfulness, and body image all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show will inspire you, change your mindset, and help you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin inside and out. To find the show notes for each episode and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, visit ashleypardo.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ashley K. Pardo. Find me on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Ashley Pardo. If you have a question to be answered on this podcast, please email it to heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Heart Food Podcast. I'm so excited to bring you this episode today with my good friend, Dr. Tina Moore. Tina is a naturopathic doctor and a chiropractor who has her own practice called Core Wellness PDX in Portland. And she's somebody who is so knowledgeable. And I knew from the moment that I met her that she is somebody that's a force to be reckoned with. This woman um, invests in herself. She believes in herself. She has built an amazing business, which is so admirable to me. She has her in-person business. And then she has also taken, and she's kind of leaning towards her online business and really mentoring other naturopathic doctors in the field to have successful practices, uh, through her own mastermind. And she also has courses on prolotherapy, which is basically where you inject, sugar water into the body, which I honestly did not know uh, what that was. Uh, Even three months ago, when I was with her in person a couple months ago, I was like, hey, Tina, break it down because I don't know what prolotherapy is. (laughs) And um, she's just somebody who's so fun and approachable to talk to. And I really appreciate her story and her knowledge and her generosity and how open she was on this episode. Her and I both come from a history of anxiety and depression. Uh, We talk about medication in this episode. We talk about owning your worth and really stepping into your worth to live the life that you want to live and to really like be the person that you deserve to be so you can show up for yourself every day. You know, not to say that it's not hard uh, to do that and it doesn't take effort because it does, but I found that we decide what we're worth. We decide what our rate is. And until we believe that, nobody's going to believe it. Um, We also talk about muscle as medicine. And this is something that is so interesting to me because you guys know that I lift weights, that I have been doing so for the past few years. And for such a long time, I only did cardio. I just did like spinning. I was notorious for doing spinning, like you know, I think a lot of people do that, which is fine, but I only ever did that, or I would run, or I would do like Zumba classes, and I never had any muscle in my body, and it wasn't until probably five years ago that I really started lifting, and I started to feel better and look better as a result, and I really appreciate Tina's perspective about the science behind why it's more beneficial to have muscle on the body, and why it's healthier for the body to have muscle. And I really hope that this narrative really changes, um, in, you know, the world and in fitness. I mean, I run in circles where I'm surrounded by women who lift weights, but I know, so I'm, you know, really knowledgeable about it and I am comfortable and open to it, but I know that, um, many people still do not kind of believe in that and especially women. So, I hope that you really gain a lot out of this episode. Like I said, if you ever struggled with anxiety or depression, if you're wondering if you should take medication, if you want to um, find out why muscle is really good to have and why it's good for ourselves and our mental health and our bodies overall, I also want you to download Dr. Tina's book. 
uh, which is called Pain Free and Strong, where she goes in depth into all these topics. It's free. So there's no reason why you shouldn't download the book. You can get it at drtina.com, D-R-T-Y-N-A. And I will also put the link in the show notes, but um, the book is, again, Pain Free and Strong, The Secrets to Regaining Vitality, Improving Mobility, and Restoring Energy. So feeling good obviously being pain-free, feeling strong. And I cannot, um, again, state it enough. That was a weird ass. (laughs) I cannot state it enough. I sounded like a snake. (laughs) That how important it is to feel strong and to be pain-free in your body because that's the way that we move. That's the way that we, um, you know, go through the world. And many of us don't put, you know, a lot of uh, impact on that. And we don't put a lot of priority on that because we think that the way that we feel, even though we might not feel awesome is just okay. And like, even though it might be mediocre, we're just okay with it. And, um, I think that we could do better and we can be better. And if we're just a little bit more knowledgeable about like how our bodies work, then we can really take the action steps in order to do so. And I hope you start with Dr. Tina's book and definitely reach out to her on Instagram. If you want to let her know that you enjoyed this episode. Um, but that is pretty much it for the intro. Let's get into the meat of the episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Tina. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. And we actually just finished recording uh, for your podcast, which um, we will put in the show notes as well. Um, But for those that are not familiar with you and your story, let us know what you do now and how you got to where you are. Well, big question. Big question. (laughs) So I am a naturopathic and chiropractic physician by trade. And that is what I have been doing for the past decade in my life. I've been seeing patients in my clinic in Portland. I've I've been in private practice. I specialize in regenerative injection therapies. And for those who don't know what that is, I, I basically use natural solutions like sugar water, your own platelets and stem cells to regenerate your joints for orthopedic conditions. So that's what I've been known for. Uh, I've also built a bit of an online platform talking about pain and optimizing your stem cells naturally and really trying to educate the masses about how their pain. I, I think pain management in this country is a bunch of nonsense and I think it's barbaric and I think it's in the dark ages. And so I've been really vocal about how, you know, having been somebody who's lived with chronic pain herself, I I'm really passionate about getting people to understand that you don't have to. A lot of it comes down to, well, I would say most of it comes down to lifestyle. And then more recently, I've been getting into coaching and mentoring other naturopathic female physicians, which has been probably the most fun thing I've ever done. And that's been the most rewarding. And I'm a mom and I love dogs and I love lifting weights. (laughs) Hell yeah, that all sounds amazing. (laughs) And, you know, I just have, I told you this um, when we were in Cabo, but you're just somebody who is so beautiful, like inside and out, like you really emanate this, um, this light. And I really think that happens with people when they're doing what they're meant to do in the world. And that's not something that comes easy. It's not something that everybody has the chance to do in their life. Um, and now you're sort of paying it forward in a way that you're mentoring, uh, other doctors and allowing them to, um, you know, get on this awesome path that you really paved the way for. I'm curious if your acumen as a businesswoman uh, came naturally to you because you're someone that does so many things and you're so successful at them. So I'm wondering if you can talk about that, how that developed um, and yeah, and how you use that in everyday everyday life now to grow your business and to, to grow personally as well. Oh, well, first, thank you so much for that sweet compliment. I really appreciate it. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have um, a role. I had a role model in my mentor who passed away. He was one of my dearest friends and he was a really successful physician. So I had mentorship in that. Uh, He was a renegade in the field and he really just did things his way and paved the way for a lot of naturopathic doctors. So I have to give him credit 
I did not have a lot of female role models in that world, especially in doing the orthopedic work that I did. But there was nobody, actually. There was no young women who were kicking butt doing regenerative injection therapies. There was none. It was like a bunch of old white dudes with white hair. Mm-hmm. And bless them all because so many of them were my mentors and I love them, but they're just, there was no one like me. And so I kind of just had to go out and do it my way and get told a lot that my way wasn't going to work. And that, uh, and I've always been that way. I've always just been, I'm pretty, um, I don't know, what's the word I can, what's the word to best describe me? I'm, I'm, Oh, I'll think of it in a minute. I don't want to, I don't want to say it wrong. I just, I'm, I'm insubordinate. Like I just, (laughs) I'm just sort of insubordinate by nature that when somebody says you need to do something this way or you can't do, especially if someone says you can't do something, I immediately, I'm like, Oh, game on. Thank you so much. I'm going to go do this Yes, my way. And that's, I, I don't know who raised me up to be that way. I know my mom's a little sassafras and my dad's a resilient guy, but somewhere along the way, I just, I had this streak of rebellion in me and how that translated into success is beyond me. I think more of it was, I don't have anything to lose. Like mm. I have been through such a, honestly, I've been through such a deep level of hell personally and physically and just emotionally. And I've been through some really hard struggles And at this point, I'm just like, it's go time. I just want, I just, what, I have nothing to lose. I've I've almost died out of like chronic, chronic sickness. I've had so many things happen. I've had divorces, a few divorces. (laughs) I've, I've lost people I loved. And I just figure like, why not be, I try to be as ethical of an entrepreneur as I can. And I always try to come from a place of service so that I'm never greed based and, I really just want to bring everybody with me. And more than anything, I feel very strongly that I am here to help empower other women. Yes. And that is something that I never, because all my friends have always been guys. I never in a million years saw myself mentoring women. But I love, love, love the power of a tribe of women. I think we're so much stronger together. And that's how we're supposed to be. Like, that's what gets our oxytocin firing and gets us going. And so... I think a lot of my success has really just been like, well, what the F? I might as well go for broke. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And I really am sort of like addicted to being around the same type of women that you're talking about. Like now that I've been exposed to it, of what (laughs) it's like to be around other women that are like that, that want to see others succeed, that um, create the space and sort of the permission to do what it is that you want to do in life. Uh, Because I think as women, we're used to the other way. Sort of like, you know, keeping things secret or not really wanting the girl next to you to be as successful as you. And I really think that comes from a scarcity mindset in a way. Um, There's always enough. I've learned now that there's always enough to, to go around and everybody can sort of do their own thing. And there's room for everybody. Um, so I think it's incredible that you're doing that. And, and I'm a big fan of that uh, as well. And so many people that come on the podcast and myself included, you're familiar with my story, have come from struggle, have really turned their struggles into something different. So I love how you said, like, what do I have to lose? I think that that's such a good lesson for people because I feel like we worry about things that aren't important half the time, you know? Oh, I am a worrier though. My boyfriend teases me. He's like, you worry enough for everybody. And I think it's that part of me is genetic. My mom is a worrier. My daughter's a worrier, but we're also warriors. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm a worrier too, putting it out there. Yeah. Big time. I mean, I, it's part of my genetic code to worry. And, but I, I also, I don't, I don't understand. So I have always been friends with all guys because I moved a lot. And in moving a lot, every time I came to a new school, I was a pretty girl and I was really smart. And so I got a lot of slack from the other girls growing up. And somewhere along the line, we all went from being a little tribe of girls to being enemies and competitors with one another somewhere around junior high. I don't know what happens. I think it might be someone once told me this and it made a lot of sense. I think it might come from actually evolutionarily, genetically, if there's only one or two or three males in the group who are viable, I mean, because ultimately we're mammals and mammals just want to reproduce. Like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of what we do. And if there's only a few males around, if resources are 
are nil, especially resources for food and other things. I think women, I think there might be a competitive factor there that's actually evolutionary where we Mm. feel like, you know, there isn't enough to go around. We've got to compete for what's there. Uh, I don't know, but I just, the whole like walking in a room and having a bunch of other girls stare you up and down and decide you're the enemy because maybe you're prettier or you're smarter or whatever, that just seems like such nonsense to me. And I played right into it for a long time, mm-hmm. decades of my life, but I just, I kind of hit my forties and I was like, oh my gosh, we are, why are we, are, we are our own worst enemies as women. And yet we're the only, we're, we're supposed to be here to support one another and bring each other up and like be a tribe of warriors. We're already second class citizens just for being yes. women. Yes. You know, like yeah. we get worse by, by being, uh, there's so many other things that we could go down the line with. I mean, and then we get into racism and, and all kinds of other things. But in the end, it's just like being a girl is hard enough. Yeah. We might as well team up and go kick some ass. Like that's <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like you, I'm so passionate about helping other women, um, sort of create their own life and have the freedom to make money and to be okay making money and a lot of money if they want to and to not think that those things are audacious. And you and I have also talked a lot about uh, mental health and our struggles with anxiety and depression. So, And we talk about that a lot on the podcast. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk about what those have played in your life and how, if it's changed your life at all? Oh my gosh, yeah. So when I was 15, I moved to Oregon from Southern California and I quickly developed a very horrendous vitamin D deficiency. And I was already like anemic and eating really poorly. And I literally for the last, the prior three years, I'd been living off of like nacho chips and nacho cheese out of a can, you know, like Velveeta type processed cheese. That was pretty much all I ate. And all of a sudden, one day when I was 15, the lights went out. I don't know how to describe it. We were in the dead of winter in Oregon. And in Oregon, we have nine months of rain. So I moved from the beach of Southern California, a little tan surfer girl, to Oregon rain. And I lost my mind. And I tried to kill myself. And I ended up in a psych ward for a week when I was 15. And they ran me through a series of tests. And basically what they concluded was the guy in charge, the head guy in charge, was like, you are so crazy smart that you are bored to death in school and that nobody looked at my actual health. They were just trying to, you know, figure out what was going on with my head. Uh, but they decided in my headspace that I was just super, 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 super highly intelligent, which yeah, I was, and that I was bored at school, but that didn't really help address the rage and anger I had inside of me and probably multiple nutritional deficiencies. Along with that, I was developing a lot of cracks on the sides of my mouth and cracks all over my tongues and sores inside of my mouth, which are clear signs of vitamin B deficiency, different B vitamin deficiencies. Uh, So I was clearly having some kind of psychosis. I'm sure my zinc and nutrient mineral levels were in the toilet too. So, and I'm sure my fatty acids were nowhere to be found. So looking back, I I have answers from a medical naturopathic standpoint, but at the time they were just trying to put me through talk therapy. Mm. Uh, And I went that route for a long, long time. And they, right around 16, Prozac came out and came on on the market. So I was given Prozac at 16 and I spent the next 15 years on antidepressants on and off a variety. Some made me crazier. Some made me so sluggish and sedated that I couldn't see straight. Most of them completely numbed me. And then I got into naturopathic college. I was trying to find out what was wrong with me. I was really on a journey. I knew I'd been a very sick little kid and I knew there had to be a better way. So I was really on a search to find answers and I did find answers. Uh, And I also went off all my antidepressants and I cleaned my diet up. We didn't really have a term for that way of eating at the time. It was really just called the anti-inflammatory diet. We Mm -hmm. We didn't really have the word paleo. We didn't have the word... I mean, ketosis had been around and I was using ketosis actually. That's when I felt the best. But I was, I really just went on a whole foods anti-inflammatory diet that was high in fat because I needed fat for my brain. And that was phenomenal. So I'll be totally truthful with you. I, I kind of thought I was going to be dead by 25, just the way I was going. I was Mm -hmm. so sick for so long and I felt so awful and I was being highly medicated. So I basically walked around for about two decades like a complete zombie 
and I was skin and bones. I felt hideous. And I, when I didn't die at 25, I ended up getting pregnant that year instead. And I had a child who's now 18. But somewhere in the middle of that, I was like, I am going for broke because I should have been dead by now. I really should have. Mm. Like, and I also, I was living hard in my 20s. I was drinking. I was doing drugs. I was, I mean, no hard drugs, but I was definitely partying way too much and drinking way too much. And not having any respect for my body or my sleep and no wonder I was so sick but when I when all of that cleared and I got my my shit together so to speak when my daughter was born and then I really got my diet dialed in a few years later I was like I am going for broke because I really have nothing to lose at this point and I have a message and people mm -hmm. need to understand that there's a way out of this so that's the long story. <laughs> yes. And, and I really think that that's what it's, you know, you're doing the beautiful thing with what you've been through in helping other people with your sort of exact struggles, um, and talking about them. Um, I'm, I hear, I'm have told you that I take Prozac now. Um, I'm on a really small dose and I did a whole podcast episode about mental health and anxiety and depression and for me, it was like the ultimate last resort. For me, it was like I had so much shame around, you know, resorting to taking a medication. Um, I was like, if I just do, you know, two hours of yoga every day and I eat perfectly. This was like when I was sort of orthorexic. Um, and I exercise all the time and I just sleep perfectly. Then like, you know, my depression and anxiety would get under control and they didn't. So really taking Prozac helped me to kind of get my life back and to get out of my depression. So what do you tell people about whether they should take antidepressants or not? And when should that be the last resort? Because we hear from a lot of people that you can just really heal your brain if you quote unquote work hard enough, especially like in the holistic community. Right. Um, so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, I have a definite opinion. I have used them on and off several times since I discontinued the whole lot. I was at one point on five different things, so I was a mess. They were just over-medicating me. But mm -hmm. here's the deal with antidepressants. Most antidepressants have not been well-researched before they get clearance from the FDA. In fact, you would be shocked and bewildered at how small some of these studies have been on just several hundred people, and then they're, they're cleared by the FDA. That said... I would be dead if Prozac wasn't on the market, and I would be dead if Wellbutrin wasn't on the market. I would not be here. I would not have made it. So what I do with, what I've done with patients in the past, and I've treated several, several patients successfully this way, is there is a way, so here's the thing. Antidepressants work on your neurotransmitters, and your neurotransmitters come from your food. They come from your nutrients in your body. So they're made out of amino acids, right? They're mm -hmm. Amino acids come from protein. So we have to eat protein so that we can have amino acids. Think about most people who become vegetarian, young girls becoming vegetarian and then losing their minds. It's a pretty common thing. Yes. So we're going into a deep depression. And so we need adequate neurotransmitter substrate, meaning we need those amino acids. Now, antidepressants basically make the neurotransmitters you have dance at the synapse in your brain, they make what you have work better or work mm -hmm. a little bit more rigorously or keep them in the synapse longer. Some, there are some schools of thought that say actually Prozac is working on an, an anti-inflammatory basis, meaning it's, it's actually creating enough inflammation in your brain that your brain, that your body is responding in terms, in, in hormetic ways hormesis is basically you put the uh, organism under stress and it responds by healing itself so prozac might work in a hormetic way blueberries kind of work on the same way blueberries might actually not be it might not be the antioxidant in the blueberry it might be the low-grade inflammation that the blueberries cause that get causes your body to create a, a slew of antioxidants does that make sense yes so I'm not saying stop your blueberries or stop your Prozac. I'm saying we don't necessarily know how all these things work. But if we can get the person, or I'll say the word patient, if I can get my patients to have enough neurotransmitter substrate, and I can do that through supplementation and diet, then I can lower their dose of Prozac. So it's a teeter-totter. Mm. So now we're working, that's naturopathy. That's working in synergy where you use food and nutrients and nutraceuticals to really do the bulk of the work and then you use pharmaceuticals to just sort of make it dance. 
That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's, you know, well, in our country, this is a big problem too. And we've talked about this before where we don't want to change anything else. We just want to take a pill, especially if it has to do with mental health. Um, and also with many like pain ailments and body ailments and things like that. So I would love for you to reiterate that we need to also have a healthy diet as well. In addition, because otherwise the person's just going to bonk. So you put some, what happens normally is somebody gets put on Prozac, they get put on a low dose, they raise the dose and raise the dose and raise the dose until they get symptom relief for the patient. But all the while that person might be terribly deficient in serotonin. That's the neurotransmitter Prozac works on. So maybe the person's just terribly deficient in serotonin because they're carb addicts and they're not getting enough protein. So they're not getting any tryptophan, which isn't converting to serotonin. So you think about most teenage girls who are starving themselves to death. They're malnourished, they're hungry, and they're they're not getting enough serotonin. And so now what does the doctor do? They just keep raising the dose instead of actually addressing the nutritional deficiency in the patient. Mm -hmm. So I think the drugs are totally appropriate and I think they're a godsend, but I think low, low, as low of a dose as possible while supporting the person with lifestyle and nutrition is that's the best way to do it. And I think most people, and I think your listeners would agree that that's the probably the best way. But here's the thing. When people are really depressed, they tend to be very low in dopamine and serotonin. And when you're dumped out in dopamine, you don't want to eat. And when you're, when you're dumped out in serotonin, all you want is carbs. So that's kind of the problem is chronically depressed people tend to want to eat carbs or not eat at all. And, or they overeat and they're trying, cause they're trying to feed their, their neurotransmitter deficiency quickly. But mm-hmm. what we, what we need to do is eat a lot of nutritiously dense foods and then we can use the drugs to sort of harmonize that. Yes. And that's, that's, how, that's my approach anyway. That's not every naturopathic doctor's approach, but I think it makes a lot of common sense. So, yeah. And I can actually feel that in myself too, because I've worked so hard to clean up my diet and to really dial in my other lifestyle factors. And that low dose that I'm on was just like the little cherry on top to make things come together. And it made such a big difference. Um, you oh, know, it's, a, it's amazing. I, it's amazing. I've, I've come out of the darkest, darkest, most suicidal depressions with the lowest dose of Prozac. It's like within two days or three days. It doesn't take two weeks. It's no, pretty quick. It, it, yeah, it's like a matter of days. And yeah. like you, like, I, yeah, I, I couldn't get out of bed. I was crying all the time, like coming home from work, just crying in the car. And I'm like, what is, what is happening? Because everything in my life is good. Uh, you know, I don't have like major stress or huge problems right now. Um, so I really want to, I'm really passionate about like taking away that stigma and letting people know that it's okay. And if you need to take something that is fine too. Oh my gosh. Yes. Those drugs though, just to be completely transparent, those drugs were designed for short-term use and they were only studied for short-term use. So they were designed really to get somebody over like a divorce or a death in the Mm. family or something major that's short-term. So I do like to cycle them as much as possible. I Mm -hmm. do realize that some people cannot go off of them, but I do think cycling them and at the very least making sure your nutrition is on point because if you're nutritionally depleted, you're just going to bonk. And that's, I think, where we get into trouble. Most practitioners are, you know, their hands are tied to be quite honest, it's not the doctor's fault. We can, trust me, getting a patient to be compliant is really hard. And you know this, it's just even getting clients to be compliant. But Mm -hmm. people come in and it's like, well, you have a pill. And yes, I want you to eat all this healthy food. And they're like, just give me the pill, like you said, but then they want to, it's not working, doc, it's not working, doc. And so the doctor raises the dose and raises the dose and raises the dose. And now we've got a mess on our hands, because we've got a patient that's highly medicated, And now we can't even withdraw the drug because their brain is so, it's not hooked on it, but it's become very um, acclimated to it. And so now just to get their neurotransmitters to fire, it's kind of like, so dopamine is the drug of addiction. It's the drug of joy, but it's also the drug of addiction. And we're really all chasing dopamine. That's really the problem, I think, in today's society. And that's why every time you look at your phone and you get a like on one of your posts or you get a comment that's dopamine. That's like, yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. That's, 
every time you see the little thumbs up on your Facebook or whatever, that's dopamine. It's like, oh, I got 30 likes. Dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. It's the same reason people are addicted to porn. It's the same people reason people are addicted to gambling. It's dopamine hits. And so, unfortunately, in our society, most people are chasing dopamine with food and drugs and alcohol. Um, but that's where being nutritionally sound is so important because otherwise you start chasing your neurotransmitters in other ways and that's it and each drug you can tell by a person's drug preference whether they like wine or dark chocolate or meth or mm-hmm. crap yeah. or weed you can tell where their nutrition or where their neurotransmitters are low which is super interesting that is interesting and how would you how would you suggest because it's been about two years almost two years that i've been on it now how would you, you know, pretty much straight through, how would you suggest somebody maybe tests getting off of it or cycling? Well, that's trickier. And I usually leave that up to whoever the person's practitioner is mm-hmm. because they need to be familiar with that too. But it's a matter of anytime you take a drug or a hormone for long enough, your receptors become a bit resistant to hearing it. Mm. So the more that So let's talk about like insulin resistance. This would be totally appropriate to your audience. When your cells are, when there's too much insulin in the body, which is what happens to most Americans when they get pre-diabetic, which a lot of people are walking around pre-diabetic, they will develop what's called insulin resistance. And what that is, is insulin's supposed to be there. It's a lock and key mechanism. It works with glucose to get glucose inside the cell so that your cells can, that's what this that's the energy of the cell is glucose. So if there's too much insulin in the area, the body starts saying, well, we got plenty of insulin and we got too much blood sugar. Let's start cleaving the receptors off the cell. Let's start taking down the flags, taking down the, the, the doors, if you will, or the gates, if you will. So that happens too when we use hormones. Will become a bit resistant to them because they're always in the system. So the body starts down-regulating the receptors that hear the hormone. And it, the same thing happens with drugs. So that's where I'm a big fan of changing dosages or cycling. That's why you see bodybuilders cycle their testosterone. Mm. And that's why taking a hormone holiday, we call it in bioidentical hormone replacement, we get people off their hormones for a little while and then put them back on. Um, and I would, tr- I would encourage people to find a practitioner who's comfortable doing this. I'm not saying it must be done because some people can't do this at all. They need to stay on it. But... I do think that just knowing that that's an option versus higher, 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 higher dosing, you know, that's, I guess that's my argument is if a drug is not working for you, consider cycling it or some doctors are very savvy and they'll even cycle it with a, they'll, they'll switch out a different uh, drug in the same family. Mm. Uh, But if you're doing well, no need to change anything. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good indicator. Yeah, this is just instead of what most people do, which is they just keep increasing the drug dose. Exactly. That's where the problem. Think about it when you get really accustomed to drinking or you start, you know, any any drug or substrate that people use, they need more of to get the same effect sooner or later. Yes. And that is especially for the pharmaceutical companies and for the doctors, that's just an easy way for them to just be like, here, just have more. Well, the issue. it's, it's really, I've worked with, I used to specialize in getting people off of their antidepressants. Ironically, that was like the beginning of my practice. I was really good at that because I'd taken them all. So I knew, yeah. I knew what, they, what they all did and I felt really passionate about it, but it's a really tough crowd. Uh, when people get, especially drugs like Effexor or Lexapro, when people get on very high doses of those, there is, it's very difficult to get them off of them. And other drugs like benzodiazepines, such as Valium and Xanax, which are very commonly prescribed, those are almost impossible to get people off of. So it's to the poor doctor, what happens is the patient ends up in your door and they're already on a mighty dose. And then what do you do? It's like somebody else got them there, you know? Yeah. Somebody else got them on the 10 milligrams a night of Ambien for the past five years. Somebody else put them on the multiple high doses of Lexapro and it's like uh, now they're in your door and you've got to help them as a physician and it's like what do you do and so most doctors will prescribe up you know they, they want to give the patient symptom relief they don't want a suicidal patient I've had patients kill themselves I've had suicidal patients kill themselves because 
the work we were doing wasn't working for them and mm. the work that they were doing with everyone else wasn't working for them. And that was their choice of what they decided to do. But it's like that haunts you as a doctor. Yes. You're like, did I underdose? Did I overdose? It's, it's very tricky. And if the patient won't exercise and eat well and do the work, you know, my hands are tied. So yeah, and that's such a hard place to, to be in. And it's a big responsibility too. Yeah, as as a doctor that actually cares and um, really wants the best for their patient. It's really hard. And I think the hardest part now for most, I don't ever, I've never dealt with insurance, but most physicians are in a system now with uh, insurance companies where patient satisfaction is a big player in the game. So if you don't give the patient the drug they're asking for or demanding, or you don't give them the you know, MRI or the study that they maybe don't need that they're demanding, they will rate you low and they will show low patient satisfaction scores. And then the doctor doesn't get paid. Mm. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, that gets hard then. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Yes. That's really what's happening with a lot of these things. I get it. I've been there as a patient where like I needed I thought I needed a higher dose of that antidepressant to feel better because I felt so horrible. But what I really needed was sleep and good nutrition and exercise and sunlight. <laughs> yes. And, and those are so simple that people say like, really, those that's just what I have to do. Just get outside and sleep. And But those will make some drastic changes in your life. Um, I'm also wondering if you believe that depression is a chemical issue or if it's something that has developed because of traumas or your upbringing or if it's a mixture of both I think it's a couple things I think it's I think I do think there is a neurotransmitter piece I know that as as science is moving forward in my community people are wanting to say it's not so much the neurotransmitter puzzle anymore but I do think there is a bit of that I think it's inflammation mm. I think ultimately it comes down to inflammation and I don't think it's all inflammation I do think adverse childhood events and past trauma are a huge player. But here's the deal with the brain. In your body, you've got a checks and balances system with your inflammation. So when your immune system lights up, you've got a counterbalance, a teeter-totter, if you will. You've got a part of your immune system that will, if it's working, will turn on and help counterbalance that. Now, if you're autoimmune, which a lot of women are in particular, if you're autoimmune, that doesn't work as well. So the immune system definitely wins. In the brain, the immune system in the brain is called these little cells called microglial cells and astrocytes. And when they're on, once they turn on, like say you have a knock to the head or you have a major traumatic event or you have a major sickness or a major, um, you know, some terrible, sad something. Once those microglial cells ignite, they stay on and there's no counterbalance. There's no checks and balances to turn it off or dampen that immune response. So now you've literally got a brain on fire. And that is a problem. So the other problem with it is once microglial cells are on and active, even if you calm them down with like, say, adequate fish oil and exercise and sleep and vitamin D and all these wonderful things, they are now primed. And they are primed to go at the smallest little insult. So now you've got a brain that's prone to ignition basically of that yeah. fire. So that's where I do think adverse childhood events can can come into play because that's probably what lit the microglial cells up in the first place. Things like going on birth control, um, being having trauma in your teen years like a car accident or being raped or so you know all the com I mean that is sadly a common thing. All the things that are common to young people and women in particular because I think we do suffer I, young men are dealing with uh, depression right now at astronomical rates too. But there is something with our hormones that play into this as women. And so kind of that estrogen rush that we get with going on birth control or that we get when we get pregnant, those will have a, a play in it. And a lot of women are low in progesterone. So, and progesterone actually calms the brain down and helps regenerate neurons in the brain. And there's receptors in the brain for progesterone, it's not just a sex hormone. Progesterone actually sits on the brain and decreases anxiety. And it's so potent that if you give sublingual progesterone to a patient at night, they will just fall right asleep. It's like that much of a sedative. So it's a big picture. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot. Yeah. You know? and, and, but, and I really love making people aware of the types of things that it can be because 
I feel like in this society where, you know, really pressured to be a certain way and to like just suck it up and to not feel what we're feeling. But in my experience, that's always made it worse. Um, oh, for sure. And then thyroid. I mean, I would yes. tell anyone who's suffering from depression to go have their thyroid assessed by a naturopathic doctor or a functional medicine practitioner who's going to look at a full thyroid panel and have their progesterone assessed. And don't do it with blood. Do it with either urine or spit, there's saliva tests, there's different tests you can do, but those two, progesterone and thyroid, if those are low, you're going to have anxiety and depression as a woman, period. Yes. Yes. And you're going to have heavy periods, which is going to lead you to anemia, and then you're going to end up even worse, and you're going to feel worse. So it's a whole, I mean, I've seen, I have seen the most insane depression and suicidal ideation go away with just giving somebody adequate iron. Wow. And in, in this case, the, 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 it was a young girl. It was so severe. We had to do iron IVs, but it was like night and day. This girl's lights just turned on and she came out of the darkest hell I've ever seen any young girl go through. So there's so many, and just low magnesium and low zinc can make you terribly, terribly depressed. So lots of factors, <laughs> lots of factors. And, yeah. and yeah, I, I definitely think when, when these things happen, it's best to have, you know, a team of people working with, you know, working with you, somebody, you know, maybe a naturopath, a nutritional therapist, somebody who can really help and guide you or even talk therapy, um, you know, a place that you can tell people how you feel and then get the adequate help for it because so many people are just suffering in silence and they don't have to. Oh, absolutely. You know, who's the expert on this is Kelly Brogan. Yes, yes. She's a great resource for this kind of information because, I mean, while I had figured all this out on my own years and years and years before she ever came on the scene because I was suffering from it. Like I said, I mean, it was funny when I was taking my pharmacology test in medical school, I aced the whole section on antidepressants because I had been on all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mm-hmm. was like, oh, I know the side effect profile of all of these. But when she came on the scene and really, you know, released her content in her book, it was like groundbreaking because this is stuff people weren't talking about to the masses. And she's probably saved a lot of lives with her content. So yeah. And it, and she it's talks just, a lot about diet too, yeah, about how even so, just taking away gluten and dairy will make a remarkable difference in people's brains and the inflammation. For sure. And they're even, they're, you know, it's funny because so many people give Jenny McCarthy shit for saying don't eat gluten and dairy when you're child, or ha- get your autistic children off of gluten and dairy. Mm-hmm. And she, she took so much slack for coming out and being vocal about that. And now the studies, I mean, we've always known this in the naturopathic community, it's like, duh, but finally the studies are coming out to support this that casein can be so inflammatory to a brain and to a body and gluten is clearly i mean it's it's a neurotoxin in fact if you took eight people who had gluten intolerance and i'm not talking just frank celiac but there is gluten intolerance is a real thing if you took eight people only one of them out of the eight would have gastrointestinal symptoms the other seven out of eight would have neurologic symptoms mm. That's Such amazing. A, yeah. Ataxia, meaning they walk funny, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, um, all kinds of symptoms in the, in the neurologic system, in the, the whole, you know, mm-hmm. brain and brain and nervous system and in, in the nervous system down in the body too. But isn't that crazy? So like food can impact you that profoundly. Yes. And like we talk about as well, it is something that is so personal and something that we hold on to so tightly and that we're resistant to making a change for and people say like oh my stomach feels fine i'm pooping every day it's okay but it's really not until you take it out for a deliberate period of at least 30 days is what i tell people that you can really see the difference of what the impact that it has on you which can be life-changing for a lot of people oh for sure and really you need to do it for 90 days to Mm. get the most you know the most I don't even see labs start changing for 90 days for people. So 30 days is, I mean, as you know, you probably know better than I do. Just even getting somebody to change their diet for a week can be so so compelling that you get, you know, that's when you earn their trust. But yeah, 30 to 90 days, you can change a life. You can save a life. I mean, this this is no joke. Yeah. And I hope people are open to that um, because it can make such... When I say remarkable, I'm talking life-changing. 
uh, if you're somebody who's suffering from these things. So that sort of awareness is some is one of my goals with this podcast is to help people hear uh, that these are things that are possible for you to feel better and something with a simple switch with just a little bit of education, something that can be actually simple and easy to do oh, with just sure. a little bit of help. When I start feeling my, it's like a dragon. I don't know how to describe it, but it's mm-hmm. a darkness that comes. And when yes. I start feeling it, I immediately, I eat pretty simply so that I can, cause I, I have stomach issues. That's another thing. If you have stomach issues, you're going to have brain issues. So, which we talked about on my podcast. Um, when I start feeling it though, I just quickly revisit the past three days and I usually have a decent idea of what I've consumed in the past three days. Cause I don't eat a ton of crazy ingredients. Like I keep it pretty simple and there's always a correlation. Like there's usually, I haven't had enough protein. I haven't had enough fat. I haven't had enough leafy greens. I haven't had enough water. I've usually had too much sugar, too much alcohol, uh, too many refined carbs and all that stuff is dose dependent. And in little doses, it's okay. But if that starts, if that's like the three or four day event from like I went on vacation or something, I will fall into the deepest, darkest depression. And instead of feeding myself up, I'm like, okay, just hit the basics. Like go back, nourish my body, make sure I'm sleeping, go for a walk, exercise, go out in the sun, Mm -hmm. make sure I'm hydrated. And if I haven't met all of that criteria, I do not get to melt down. I'm not allowed to. (laughs) Yeah. and, And those things will really, I mean, I've been, I'm right there with you where I go on a vacation or something maybe I'm eating too much sugar or eating a lot of cheese, which I don't normally do. And I'll come back and I just feel like I just want to live in my bed. And it just takes maybe another three days of like dedicated, um, you know, simple eating, super simple ingredients, like you're saying, to really come out of it. And then I'm like, wow, this is so powerful with just these simple shifts. And so many people are living in that depression, not thinking that they have a way out with doing something simple like this. For sure. For sure. And it's, it's, I've seen it repeatedly. I've seen it with patients. I've seen it with my daughter. I've seen it with my grandmother, just feeding them well for a few. I've seen it with myself constantly, just feeding them well, will pull them out of their funk. Yes. And it, it's in the, the brain. I really think it's brains on fire. And there's a lot of reasons why the brains get lit on fire. But when people's brains are on fire, they like to stay on fire. There's no good test for this. There's no good. You can't go to your doctor and say, I want to assess neurologic inflammation in my brain because there's really no way to do it. There's no imaging studies. But I'll tell you, my one of my mentors, Dr. Paul Anderson, if you've never looked him up, you should go find him because he does a free. He also has a podcast and he, he's just amazing, amazing human being. But he basically says if you as a clinician, if you suspect their brain's on fire, their brain's probably on fire. Mm. And it's it's a conglomeration of symptoms, but it's really just your average teenager. It's I mean, and not to get too political, but these school shootings, all of these young men had one thing in common. Their brains were all on fire. Mm. I blame and they were all on SSRIs. They were all on Prozac type drugs, which has a black box warning in young men, it can make them violent and very suicidal or homicidal. And, you know, couple that with really poor nutrition, like lots of Mountain Dew. And the, you know, one kid was basically living off of 7-Eleven food because his mom was sick with MS. Like, Mm. we take these young children, we feed them really, really crappy food for their entirety of their life. And then they hit their teenage years, their hormones turn on, and then we drop them into antidepressant use that's pretty unchecked. These are not kids who are getting their doctors talking to them about nutrition. These are kids who are living off of AMPM hot dogs and big gulps. Yeah. And then you throw this type of drug on top, and it's a storm. And I'm not uh, letting them off the hook by any means. What they did was incomprehensible, but also I, like, I, my heart hurts for them because I know young men and my daughter is a young woman and I know her friends and I've seen how some of these young people are suffering terribly, men and women, young men and women are suffering terribly right now. And then couple that with like the internet and social media and all the stimulation from blue light and lack of sleep and on and on and on it goes. And it's like, no wonder people are having such a horrible time. I know, I know. And, and 
that's why I appreciate all of this education and this value um, with what we're trying to do and really bringing the awareness, not only to the food stuff, but I love the way that you talk about muscle and muscle as medicine. And you talk about it in your book and you and I have had personal conversations about it as well of like, you know, we see somebody who has like a quote unquote toned body and people say like, oh, I just want to get toned. I want to, you know, just shed all my body fat by doing a ton of cardio. And women are scared of lifting weights, thinking that they're going to get too bulky or whatever it is. Um, And I would love for you to talk about how muscle has changed your life and how it can actually make us healthier humans in the process. Yeah. Well, so that was really the way out of my darkness, ultimately, like that was kind of my final solution was my mentor was dying. And he had cancer. And he was always a big proponent of strength training. And I knew he was dying. And left to my own devices, when I get really depressed, I just starve myself, I just waste, I just waste away. That's what I do. And I can't help it. Like my dopamine drops out, and I stop eating. And it's, it's, it's like not even in my control. So I knew it was coming and I started training for it. I mean, I literally started like lifting weights so that I could and building muscle. Part of it too is around the same time my daughter was 12 and I was going to go speak at at an event at the chiropractic college and I put on a dress and she was like, oh mom, you can't wear that. And I said, why not? And she's like, because you have lady butt. (laughs) And I was like, what is lady butt? She's like, when it's all flat and wide, you need those underwear that squish you in. And I was like, Spanx? And she said, yeah, those. And I was like, no, I'm not wearing Spanx. (laughs) So I started... It all kind of happened at the same time and because I'd really let myself go while he was sick. I was just I took over his practice and I was not in a good good shape by any means. I, in any way, I was terribly depressed. So I started training and building up my strength and stamina for this event that was coming, which was his passing. And in the meantime, I just completely fell in love with it. Like I was skin and bones. I was squishy. I was not metabolically sound. And I started lifting weights. I I went and hired a coach. I knew I would hurt myself. So I went and found help. And it was phenomenal. Like I couldn't even believe the calm. It it gave me such a, it gave me like Jedi powers. There was Mm. just this incredible sense of calm when I lifted heavy weights that I had never experienced before. And it would last for a few days. And I was like, huh, I'm onto something here. This is amazing. So I dove deep into the science and turns out it's your muscle secretes molecules that are anti-inflammatory. Your muscle secretes your muscle. When you adequately exercise your muscles doing particularly free weight moves like heavy squats and deadlifts, your testosterone goes up, your human growth hormone goes up, you have healthy, adequate cortisol and insulin surges the way you're supposed to have them, not like crazy chronic stress insulin and cortisol. Um, So many, so many good benefits to muscle and it makes you want to sleep more, (laughs) it makes Mm -hmm. you want to eat better. It just kind of rounded everything out for me and it really cured me of my chronic under eating. I just been either bulimic or anorexic my entire life and here I was at 40 years old and seriously malnourished still because I, even though I knew how to eat, I wasn't eating enough and strength training forced me. If I wanted to get gains on that barbell and I wanted to add weight to it and lift more, I had to eat. So it's been really profound. Like it completely changed my life. And I found a lot, a lot more science than even that. It's, I talk about all of it in my book that it's, and you can grab my book for free on my website. It's just, like it's the panacea. It's kind of the anti-aging fountain of youth. Yes. And, and, and I want to reiterate too, that that happens by lifting heavy weights. So you have to lift weights if you want that muscle and it does take time. So we're also a society of instant gratification. We want things like now. Um, but putting on muscle mass does take months and, you know, if you want to do it in a sustainable way and not like, you know, completely burn out. Um, but even just like three sessions per week can do wonders. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, killing yourself type of things. I mean, it's intense, but it doesn't have to be miserable. And it's something that for me, and I'm, and like you said too, something that 
is simple, but that translates into the rest of my life and makes me feel extremely empowered. Oh, yeah. I feel like Wonder Woman. I mean, yes. I the things that used to drive me crazy just roll off my back. And I'm still, I mean, I'm, I had adverse childhood events and I got myself queued up to be that kind of type A anxious person. And I am definitely wired, I am hardwired that way, but your brain can rewire. And so it's a matter of, you know, meditation, which I also think strength training when you're lifting particularly heavy, that's very meditative because it's all hands on deck. Like you can't be thinking about anything else. No, no. (laughs) So for me, that's like a moving meditation um, and it's very cathartic, but it's also so empowering. It's like people start bitching at you and you're like, I can deadlift you or I can deadlift you. Like you should just stop. Picture that in your head. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. I'm like, I could, I could bench press your whole body right now. So you should probably just not be freaking out about me. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And it kind of gives you like a Jedi calm. Like I can just kind of smile at them and nod and like it doesn't totally derail me, you know? Yes, I love that. And, <laughs> you know, it's something that like really can build something for you for the rest of your life. Um, obviously putting in consistent work, but it does give so many benefits. Um, so I always encourage women to try it, even if they just start with their body weight at first, maybe just doing some push-ups or air squats. Um, and then eventually moving on to some heavier stuff, it can really do amazing things. Um, and I can't believe we've almost been talking for an hour already. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's flown by. Um, I always do some quick fire questions at the end. The first one is that, you know, a lot of us here on this show, me included are huge readers. Um, and I know you have your book, which we'll link in the show notes for people to grab and we'll reiterate that it's free. Um, what are some books that have had a really big impact on you in your life or something that you're reading right now that you're loving? Oh gosh. You know, I, the first thing I thought of when you said book was Catcher in the Rye. When I was mm-hmm. 17, I, I found a copy of Catcher in the Rye in the hallway at school and I was in a really bad place, really dark place. And that book profoundly changed my life because I realized that teenagers everywhere are struggling even back, you know, in the thirties and forties, whenever that book was written. Um, I love, oh gosh, I love, you know, I love John Irving too. I love all of his books from way back when those were all big. I I go back and visit those books like Hotel New Hampshire and just different books from that period. And I think more recently, what have I read? Oh, oh, what's the book? You know, Jill gave it to us, our business coach. You're a badass at money. Oh yeah. That one's amazing. Yeah. What's her name? Jen. Jen Sincero. Sincero. Yeah. I always want to say Sincero. I love, I love her and I love You Are a Badass. I love both those books. Yes. And especially for women too, like opening up your money mindset, we could have a whole other podcast about that. Um, you know, and really believing what you're worth and charging what you're worth. And I know that for us, you're always the one that's like, charge more. (laughs) You deserve more. Um, which I just raised my rates and it was scary, but it felt really awesome to do so. Um, well, good because you know your value is determined by you. And exactly, exactly. You don't have to charge exorbitant prices, but your value is set by you, and that's and I think that translates into everybody listening, whether you're an employee or you're an entrepreneur. Your value is set by you, and I can't emphasize how important it is when that light clicks, if it ever does, and I hope it does for everyone listening. When that light bulb goes off, it's like, oh my gosh. I am actually worth this. And that translates into your value of how you let other people treat you and how you let your partner treat you and your children treat you and your boss treat you or whatever, you know, my patients, how they, I let them treat me or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's everything. (laughs) Yeah. It's everything. And and another uh, book I want to mention that I'm loving because it's not just about cancer, but it's a, it, you would love it too. It really talks about health in general is called outside the box. And it was written by my friend Paul Anderson, who I just mentioned. He's naturopathic. He's just a pioneer in our in our field. But he wrote a really beautiful book that came out this last year, and it's a simple read. And I think it's actually like on sale on Amazon right now for like one ninety nine. But it really it really tells you what naturopathic medicine is about and how cancer is not necessarily a death sentence. And it's super interesting read. Even if you don't have cancer, the chances of you getting cancer are pretty darn high right now Mm -hmm. in society. Like 
one out of three people will end up with cancer. So I'm loving that book too, just because it, he's my guy. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely link that. That sounds super interesting. It's um, a great health read. Yeah. What, this is someone, something I ask everybody just because I'm always so curious is if you were on death row, what would be your last meal? Oh my gosh. Probably steak. <laughs> That's a popular answer. I'd probably want a filet mignon and some red wine yeah. and some dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Probably a third of the of the guests answer a nice steak. Um, so yeah. that's all, you can't go wrong with that. No, I think it does something good for your neurotransmitters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what is the biggest or the most um, valuable piece of advice that you've been given? Oh, can I say the F word on your yeah, show? Yeah, yeah. We got the E <laughs> sign. My innocent face with the little explicit <laughs> sign underneath. Nice. Um, so pretty much I've, I've had several different people say this to me and I say this to people all the time. And then Paul Anderson, speaking of the guy who wrote that outside the box, the cancer book, um, he said this to a group of naturopathic students I was sitting with a few weekends ago at, a, at our big naturopathic event. I had gathered all these students and Paul showed up and I was like, Paul, one bit of advice before you leave. And he said, fuck everything that everyone says to you. Do what you want. Oh, like wow. just... You don't owe anybody a thing. Just do what you need to do because that's that's your calling, you know, as, as far as we go as naturopathic, as, as far as anyone goes, but especially as naturopathic physicians, like we have got to follow our calling and that's it. Like fuck anything that anyone says. Yes. And so many of us, and it's so true. And, and I see that embodied within you. Um, and so many of us waste so much time just worrying about what other people think and their opinions of us. And it really gets in the way of us living our authentic life. Totally. And really, I would just say, fuck anything that doesn't make you happy or serve yes, you. It's, life is too short. It's, it's too, it's so precious. And it's so short. My colleague just lost his 23 year old son to cancer. Oh and gosh. I spent the next day in the ER with my daughter all day from a potential appendicitis. It turned out to be an ovarian cyst that burst. But because of all the stuff we're talking about, like, poor diet and life, you know, and our planet is toxic, but really it's just like, God, life is so short and precious. Do what you need to do. That makes you happy because you don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. Exactly. And I get out of that mindset, you know, probably every day, but it's, you know, something that I always try to remember to come back to. Totally. Um, the last question that I ask is I talk a lot about spirituality on the show and like, not necessarily like religion at all, but I love to know people's views about like what they think is going on here <laughs> in life <laughs> and in the world. Um, so I'm just curious if you have like, like what you think um, this is all about and if you believe in like something greater out there. I think that there is a universal consciousness and I think we're all connected and I think I think everything is all one thing, which I don't know how to explain it, but from the cellular level to the environment, to human beings, to all the mammal or all the animals and creatures on the planet, it's all one thing. And if we don't honor that, it's going to be our demise. Mm. We we're devastating. And to me, I guess I could call it mother nature or the universe or whatever. I don't necessarily call it God, but if we do not honor the planet that we live on and the animals that we live on it with, and we don't start respecting what we're doing to all of it, it is going to be our demise as a species. And that's the, that's what I think is going on. And I think we're feeling, I think some, there is a collective consciousness. There is something happening right now that's dark and there is a darkness settling and I feel it and that we can see it in our politics. We just had a, we just had a, white supremacist rally my dog's barking in Portland it happens. I, was like, mm -hmm. I was like what is I was like what is going on and I just really think if we don't step up and be leaders of light that we're going to be we're going to be missing something and I think we all have to I think we all have to step up and do what we can do yes and I have those same exact views I'm like there whatever is in a flower is in me is in you is in something else and anytime I'm feeling down I just have to go outside and kind of see the enormity of it all. 
and yeah. just look at the sky and then I'm reminded again that like we're all one you know even though it sounds corny I'm like that's really what I believe and what I feel every day yes I totally agree and it it's I guess it's nature I don't know what it is yeah. but I just I try to be a leader of light and I and I try to get others to step up and do the same yes so. I love that well thank you so much for coming on the show Tina um you've given us so much value in all these different topics. Let us know where we can find you online and if you have anything going on right now that we can um, get into. Yes. So you can find my book for free at drtina.com. It's D-R-T-Y-N-A.com or you can spell it out doctor if you want. Both ways will get you there. Um, It's awesome. I hope everybody will go grab it and read it and share it and, and let me know what you think. And then I'm on Instagram at Dr. Tina, D-R-T-Y-N-A, and you can find me, same thing on Facebook. Um, And I'm just really, for any women who are entrepreneurs who are interested in, if you're in the health field and you're interested in coaching, that's really where my passion has bloomed and blossomed and I love it so much. So get in touch with me and let me know if I can help. Yes, yes. And Tina and I are both into online business and we have seen such, I know you especially have seen such like a, a difference in the way that you can work and the type of freedom that you can have if you do that. So yeah, oh, if yeah. you're in the health world, definitely reach out to Tina. Uh, she has a mastermind and, um, oh, and I have a podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> just called, did. I forgot about it. It's called pain free and strong and you can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere. It's on, I think I'm on iHeartRadio now too, which is exciting, but oh, perfect. It's a really heavily, it's, it's heavily centered on, on uh, health and wellness. So if people want to go check, I have topics that are all the kinds of things that your audience would love. So awesome. We're going to put links to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much again for coming on. I had such a great time talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. To find the show notes for this episode, visit ashleypardo.com. Follow Ashley on social media at Ashley K. Pardo. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us some love by subscribing and leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes.